I knew I'd be right one day, and today is that day. <laughs> Zach Wilson, my pseudo son, little brother, <laughs> no actual relation, but we look like there could be one. He has proven that maybe he can, in fact. That's true, maybe. <laughs> you never know. Uh, he maybe can, in fact, play in this league. 28 for 39, 245 yards, two touchdowns against a legitimate Kansas City Chiefs defense. You know what, Amber, what, what impressed me the most, having seen him in person as a field analyst reporter last week against the Patriots, right? In, in awful conditions, 20-mile-an-hour winds, it was raining, but even coming into that game, he held the ball for 3.2 seconds every drop back on average. Dead last in the NFL. Yesterday, the ball was out quickly. He wasn't being – he saw it and then threw it. Mm-hmm. Like what, what, He actually trusted what he was seeing. Like that throw to Lazard in the back of the end zone – he had about a, a three-inch area to fit that ball into, and he did it. And you saw Lazard's reaction. I mean, we, he launches the ball 50 yards into the stands. Like, I can't believe he threw it in, in that window. I mean, it was very – it was a professional throw, and that's what you saw from Zach Wilson. Now, the fumble was horrendous, but the best part about your adopted little brother is that, I mean, he owned it. He wasn't saying we, right? It was, I can't make that mistake. I cost us the game. I did that. And that is something I've been waiting to hear from that young man since he lost that entire locker room with a one-word answer the previous season when he was posed the question, did you let down your defense? And he said no and stormed off the podium. And at that moment, everybody in that room quit on that guy. Like, get him the hell out of here. Well, the Jets didn't quit on the number two overall pick, and he grew up a lot. I mean, he really did, and owned his biggest mistake. And the throws he made in that game, Amber, your little bro was impressive. He was impressive. He looked like he actually finally figured it out. I wondered how much of that was the presence of Aaron Rodgers being around the facility, being in the building, being there on the sidelines. And nobody cared that Aaron Rodgers was there because Taylor Swift was there. And that seemed to be all anybody cared about at that game. She was shown 17 times by NBC. 17 times, Ian. I'm not kidding. That was the official final count of how many times they showed Taylor Swift during that game on the broadcast. When... Is Vegas going to have the Taylor Swift camera number? Right, like you re- remember how we have James. You're laughing, right? But James still our producer. But it's, it's going to happen. For instance, when Eli Manning, right, when the Giants went to the Super Bowl for the first time, there was an over under. How many times will the cameras pan to Peyton Manning? I think it was like one and a half. It went over. It was two. But you know they had to find him they, they couldn't find him in, in the in the actual arena and when they finally did yeah they hit him twice in the fourth quarter will vegas start putting swifty camera over under totals 100% if this keeps up and she was 17's like, a big number though coach stars. that's a big she, number she was with Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds and and what Hugh Jackman I believe and and then she was hanging out with Patrick Mahomes wife and they're all in a suite together and it just hobnobbing with all Hold the stars. Now, now it's Stop. become like a celebrity circus, Stop. this New York Jets and Kansas City Chiefs game. And it's like the Chiefs are now apparently the team of Hollywood because of Taylor Swift. 
Hold on a second. Travis you're Americans me, team. You're talking about Wolverine was in, and and I think so, right? Wolverine yeah, and Deadpool. And Deadpool yeah. were in. <laughs> How crazy is that? And Blake Lively, who survived shark attacks, she yes. was in, up there. You know, Ryan Reynolds' wife. Yeah. All in that. All in that all box together. All with Mama Kelsey, with Donna Travis. Kelsey, right yeah. now, the mom of Jason and, and Travis Kelsey. Yep. She is living her best life. <laughs> She went to the Eagles game, got on a pre, a pre a private jet, then went and saw the other son, right? And then she's hanging out with Wolverine, Deadpool, and a woman who survived shock attacks on movies. I mean, come on. <laughs> you can't make that up. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. You can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper call in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. There's a lot of places you could have gone with Blake Lively's career. Gossip Girl, she's done a lot of really good movies as well. And you went Shark Attacks. Yeah, I mean, that's the only one I've seen. I'm, a, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, my, my daughters... Yeah, you should are, fire are, up some Gossip Girl sometime. My, 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 doll, my daughters are Rachel very knows. into shark movies, right? I mean, my youngest would probably watch Jaws at the age of four. Uh, so, yeah, that's the only that's the only Blake Lively movie that I actually know. I only know she was in Accepted, which is a great movie. Never seen it. I've never heard of that movie. The Green Lantern. We don't talk about that. We have um, to. That's yeah. why they're together. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds uh, denounces that movie. But that's um, the only thing that the only good thing you, that came out of that movie. Have you ever seen Deadpool? In multiple occasions, he stabs the script with a with a knife, right? So yeah, he he is even embarrassed by Green Lantern. So we don't we don't bring that one up. But if you met his wife on the set, I feel like it was all you know a huge win for him then. Uh, I think they've gone on to have like four kids together and be one of the cooler couples seemingly yeah, in Hollywood. No, I, I get that and now, part. And now they're Kansas City Chiefs fans, apparently. Inexplicably. I had no idea. There you go. <laughs> because, because of the hysteria, hysteria surrounding Taylor Swift is what it is at this point. The, the, I use FanDuel uh, on you know Saturdays and Sundays, and they had a bunch of like Travis Kelsey, uh, Taylor Swift-themed bets on there. Uh, heading into Sunday too, so it's coming. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so there, 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 there are things that bottom, are happening. Yeah. So, bottom line on that game, though, Amber, is that Kansas City found a way to win. The Jets had that game. Yeah. And that this is the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, where when you're down and you need it, and you, uh, he finds a way. And then the smart move at the end of the game, where if you had Kansas City minus eight. You hate Patrick Mahomes. If you had the Jets plus eight, you love Patrick Mahomes. If, like, maybe somebody you might know, Amber, had the Jets plus two, right? Then, hey, oh my gosh, you love Patrick Mahomes in a, in a second half bet. Him go, taking that knee on the one yard line mm-hmm. was tens of millions of dollars that changed hands in Vegas. The biggest play in the NFL. Maybe, forget yesterday, maybe through the first quarter of the season was that moment right there. Imagine having that power with one slide to make tens of millions someone, of dollars. Someone you might know. I love that part of it. Change, change hands. <laughs> Zach Wilson. Yeah, not naming any names. It's maybe so. someone. Uh, yeah. You never know. Uh, you know. Zach Wilson was 28 of 39, 245 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Joe Namath, the Hall of Fame quarterback had been unbelievably critical of my pseudo-son, Zach Wilson. And I had been critical of Joe for being critical of Zach. Well, now Joe was on the Michael K show, and he was asked, did he see enough from Zach Wilson against the Chiefs? 
I saw he could do it, of course. Those are accurate throws. If he's throwing the back shoulder, that's right. They throw to the back shoulder a lot of the times, and that, that was terrific. Sometimes if that receiver has a step on a guy, he's going to throw it over top and not on the back shoulder. We all wish we had perfect accuracy every time we throw the ball. But sometimes even Mother Nature comes into play, and it blows the ball a little bit. Hey, He had a pretty darn good game last night against a very good football team. The entire team had a good game last night. We just didn't win. We just didn't finish it off, man. But Kansas City's a strong team. Everyone knows that. We all thought he could do it. No, you didn't think he could do it. Thank you. You said that he can't play football. You said that the that the Jets have to move on from him. In fact, nobody, I'm fairly convinced nobody on planet Earth outside of Zach Wilson's immediate family thought he could do it other than me. <laughs> I think some of his immediate family may have been wondering if he could do it. Uh, but again, he got the ball out quickly, Amber. Right. He wasn't holding. He was he trusting like totally what he was guy. seeing. And he had he played with confidence. And as, as Robert Sala, head coach of the Jets, said, if he plays like that going forward, then we're going to be a very difficult out because every call last night went against them. I mean, right. Jeremiah Johnson, me, they, they, they had a toe line on him, especially on the third and what nineteen, where Patrick Mahomes scrambles for a first down. No flag it was even thought about being thrown, and, and it was egregious. Then the holding call on Sauce Gardner, mm-hmm. one Sauce. You didn't need to even hand check the guy. I thought it was hand fighting. I mean, I thought it was a bad flag. But when you grab the top of the uni, even for a half a second or a nanosecond, a lot of times that's going to be thrown. But he was throwing it into triple coverage. It was an awful read by Mahomes, and Mahomes had an off night until yep. that last drive. He really did. He was making throws where we're going, "What? The, who is this guy? This is not. This is not fifteen. You know. And Zach Wilson was exceptional. Zach Wilson but, outplayed Patrick Mahomes, for the most which part, no one's yeah. going to have the nerve to say it, but it's true. It's what happened. We all saw it, James. It's what happened to your quarterback on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes, 18 of 30 for two hundo, right? A tud and two picks. Should have had three interceptions. Zach Wilson was 28 of 39, 245, two touchdowns, no picks. Numbers don't lie. I, I can't, I well, can't I remember, can, I can't remember uh, what team it was against last year, though. Oh, the Broncos, right? Remember last year against the Broncos? He threw three interceptions. They were up like 40 points on the Broncos. And then he finds let a way them, to win. Like, yeah, let, yeah. let them back in it. He threw three interceptions. Like, this stuff, like, with and the him, Jets have an exceptional defense. He had a bad night. It's whatever. Well, they right, have an yeah, exceptional he defense. Was, I mean, he was under pressure all. Yeah, like, let's they, not they, take anything away from what New York absolutely. was doing. It feels they, like, I mean, the Jets' defense really was doing what we expected them really to do. Really good. They're trying to figure things out on the offensive line. Jawan Taylor has taken... 10 penalties already this year. Uh, like I think the NFL record's like 18 by an offensive lineman, and he's more than halfway there, and they've only played four games. They're trying to figure out who else to throw the ball to. They're fine. It's just one of those games. Yeah, I mean, no one's saying that the Chiefs aren't fine, but it was just interesting. I think the story of this game is really the Jets, and it certainly, I would imagine, gave Jets fans some hope that maybe they can, in fact, have a quarterback. And this is what I have been saying this whole time. Figure it out if you've got your guy. Ride ride it out with him because no good comes from bringing in somebody else and then still having questions about the future there. If you hit on it with Zach Wilson, then you're going to have Aaron Rodgers next season and then you'll have Zach Wilson for the next 10 years after that. If you don't hit on it, then you'll have Aaron Rodgers next season and then you can move on after that and you have somebody else. But 
figure out this Zach Wilson thing. And maybe they're a step closer to doing that because I doubt they're going to make a change now. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian. Is there anyone close to the 49ers right now? We'll get into that. Amber and Ian's on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Samsung is awesome. This Saturday... Get game time ready with the Samsung Bespoke four-door flex refrigerator with Family Hub Plus from The Home Depot. You're listening to Amber and Ian, presented to you by Progressive Insurance at Ian Fitz ESPN. That's how you find him. At Amber W Sports, that's how you find me. World Series action coming your way with the postseason and Major League Baseball heating up. The road to the World Series goes straight through here straight through ESPN Radio. Catch all of the postseason action on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Tomorrow night, you will get Marlins Phillies during our show. So no Amber and Ian here. Over the next couple of nights, you'll you'll get some baseball instead, Ian. It's October. My cubbies got me all the way, not just to to two-a-days, right? Not even into fall camp. They got me into week four of the college football season, week three of the NFL season, and then they decided to spit the bit. So they gave me hope, uh, which is almost worse than what they normally do, and that is just abandon me by the 4th of July. <laughs> so, I mean, they gave me 16, which was amazing. I never ever dreamed I would see the Cubbies ever win the World Series, right. ever. Um, so in my lifetime, I've seen the Saints win a Super Bowl, the Cubs win the World Series. But now it's to the point where you get spoiled with it, you get that – that, mm-hmm. that taste of success on your palate, and damn, like I'll, I'll, I mean, I wasn't expecting anything from my guys this year, and then we missed the wild card by one game. That that hurt. I'm, I can't lie to you, but I'm also gonna miss noon first pitch baseball tomorrow, which we've had the last few years in, in, in the new wild card format. But I'm pumped. Yeah, three oh eight Eastern, two oh eight Central time tomorrow. Let's go. First pitch. Let's get it on. Every pitch right here to the final out of the World Series. Let's play some postseason baseball. I got my Marlins hat on. I am ready for this team who's finally made another postseason. That's what Amber does there is when I say my team let me down, she goes ahead with her. You notice I have my Marlins hat on. We happen to be in the postseason. Yes, there we go. (laughs) Shockingly are in the postseason. The team who has made it less than anybody else. But they are in the postseason. All right, let's talk about the NFL, though. NFL is king around here. And there was a lot of good stuff that happened in week four that we still have yet to unpack. Let's start here. Who's the best team in the NFL, Ian? San Fran. 
and I said that going into the season, and, I, and I'll say it continuing. I mean, I think the AFC is obviously the, the deepest conference, hands down. But San Fran coming into the season, a lot of people had their questions about Brock Purdy and coming off the injury, or just whether he could sustain what we saw last year as the last pick in the NFL draft. But I mean, everyone I've talked to around the Niners and other scouts that know that team very well, that are not in that organization, they had full confidence that Purdy was going to come back. You know, and the O-line, and, and that, def- that defense, I mean, they just want to embarrass you and your family. I mean, it, 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 they are they, – they, they're just stalking prey. It's beyond impressive. So, Purdy yesterday goes, what, 20 of 21? And the one was a throwaway? I mean, come on. I mean, that's and, – and he's making throws, Amber, into very tight windows. So, if there was one question about the Niners, if, you, if it was to you, the quarterback, well, right now, through the first quarter of the season – Brock Purdy is shutting a hell of a lot of people up. And to me right now, the best team through the first quarter, by the way, the quarter poll is the last quarter poll, the last quarter mile in a thoroughbred horse race. The first quarter poll, yeah, that's, that's just the first quarter. But anyway, they right now, through the first quarter, they're the best team in football to me. I blame James Steele for me saying quarter poll uh, before we went to the break. Right. <laughs> well done. Uh, that was written on my screen, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> if it had been right, though, I, w- I would have taken all the credit. Brock Purdy through these four games, over 1,000 yards already, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. He has had zero interceptions so far on the season. It's hard to play much better football than Brock Birdie has been playing, unless, of course, you play a different position and you're on that team, and that's Christian McCaffrey. Because if we're talking MVP, that other dude on his team, I think, is the the name in that conversation. Christian McCaffrey has been so phenomenal. He is so special to me. It's like nothing I've ever seen. Brock Birdie's great. I've seen it. He's great. However, Christian McCaffrey, I mean, the things that he does. Nevertheless, when it comes to the MVP conversation, maybe both of these guys should be in it right now from the San Francisco 49ers. Evan Cohen, co-host of Unsportsmanlike right here on ESPN Radio, certainly thinks that Brock Purdy should be. I want Brock Purdy higher up on that MVP list. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's time we start talking about Brock Purdy as an MVP. Have you watched this guy this guy doesn't miss. Why aren't we considering him top half of the league in the quarterback rankings? Well, you know what? Why not start considering him top 10? His team is awesome around him, but he does nothing to make them lose, and now he's starting to do things to make them win. Brock Purdy, with one more great performance, should be an MVP candidate Brock Purdy, when I'm looking at the odds, still is very much in that conversation. I'm not going to put him at the top of the list. I'm not going to put him above Josh Allen or above Tua or Patrick Mahomes or any of those guys right now. But Brock Purdy's playing very, very solid football. I agree with you. San Francisco looks like the best team in the NFL. They look like the best team on both sides of the ball. To me, the second best team is not the other team that's undefeated because we have one other undefeated team in the Philadelphia Eagles. To me, the second best team in the NFL is the Buffalo Bills. I don't disagree. I'm glad you went there. And by the way, Evan, time we start talking about Brock Purdy, we've been talking about Brock Purdy going back to last year. Right. So Evan, come on, man. I mean, we, we, we have been. You know, it's not about now. We have been talking about it. To, to me, at the end of last year, he was the best story, not just in the NFL, but in all of sports, being mm-hmm. Mr. Irrelevant, leading this team to the NFC Championship game. To your point about Buffalo, I could not agree with you more. 
the Bills had one bad week and they got hacked off. And now you're seeing how great, not good, how great this team can be. One bad week against a good defense, by the way. A weird week, a weird game. We know what happened there in that game against the Jets. And I said at the time, like Josh Allen, yes, he started the season looking rough, but Josh Allen is still Josh Allen. And Josh Allen has looked like Josh Allen here the last few weeks. I don't even think it's up for debate that, to me, the Eagles are not the second-best team in the NFL because the Eagles, although undefeated, have just been skating by. In fact, there's a few teams I'd put above Philadelphia right now in my power rankings. Yeah, but you know what? When you're four and zero, and you, that, that's you know, your record doesn't lie. Your record, you are what your record says you are. Uh, but I agree with you. When you watch them play, the eyeball test does not lie. I would put the Kansas City Chiefs as the third best team to the first quarter of the season, behind San Fran and the Bills. I don't know if I can do that after what I saw from from Kansas City last night, but maybe, maybe I would put them there. I'd probably put a team in the Eagles on division above them in the Dallas Cowboys, Ooh, which is just going to make everybody wow. in Philadelphia so happy <laughs> with me. More on that next. You might need better glasses to determine what happened on that last play in Seahawks Giants with Kenneth Walker the third. Apparently his elbow was down. They called back a score from Seattle, but man, that took some parsing through, blowing up the film and rewatching that thing a thousand times to see that his elbow had in fact made contact with the ground. So that game right now, still 0-4. We will continue to keep you updated on all of the Monday night football action. There are just dope hats happening all across the NFL. I have learned that that is the crucial catch, which is a nod to cancer. So that is super cool. I'm going to be uh, immediately buying one of those hats. But right now, let's focus on college football because we haven't gotten a chance to even talk about the college football mania from this past weekend and boys are a lot to get into Cole Kublik he is ESPN and SEC Network's college football analyst joining us and Cole let's just start simple what stood out to you about week five in the college football season Uh, I think probably uh, there are a couple of things that have been surprising that have stood out the Pac-12 maybe being even further ahead than some of us thought we knew the quarterback play was going to be good we, we knew teams like Washington, USC, Oregon were going to have good teams, play good football, but it, it might be further ahead from where we believe with what uh, Washington State's doing, with what Oregon State's doing, a big win Friday night against Utah, what Utah was doing, especially without Cam Rising. I think the noise that Coach Prime and Colorado have made, it, it just has to be discussed anytime you're talking about things that have happened through the first month of the season and the fact that there are three wins. Not, not many people thought they would even get to that this year. Uh, they've been pretty impressive at certain points. Uh, and then some of the big wins, you know, Florida State over LSU and Clemson, just absolutely massive uh, when you look at what they've done to be able to handle that. And then Texas going to Alabama and getting that win and still being undefeated. So uh, I think a lot of it is uh, things that we thought maybe could happen, but we weren't sure if we really believed it in. And some of it's happened and then some. So it's been a fun first month. And I'm like you. I don't like talking about it like that because it, it makes me a little bit depressed that it's already gone by. Right. I mean, we're, we're already coming up on week six, man. Like, what the hell just happened? I mean, we, we just we just kicked the damn thing off, right? But let's dive into the SEC West because LSU Ole Miss, I mean, we're, we're getting updates. On, I mean, I had a late kick in Stark Vegas between Alabama and, and Mississippi State, and we couldn't believe what we were seeing in this shootout that was going on in Oxford. So when you look at the SEC West right now, with LSU with two losses, you know, and, and Bama is still right in the mix. And I think Bama and Jalen Milrow, they're, 
Look, that guy's starting to make the layup throws. He can make the wild play, right? But he's now he's starting to make the easy plays. I think Alabama is is on the come. A and M, people forget about them, right? What do you make of the SEC West right now? It's tough to know exactly what to make of it because so much of it has been back and forth. I mean, this this ping pong match in the SEC West. You know, Alabama goes down to Texas, struggles with South Florida. Everybody's throwing them in the trash. Well, then they go beat a team that some people thought may be the best team in the West to Ole Miss uh, kind of handily and then go just curb stomp Mississippi State. And people say Bama's back. LSU looked like they were in control. And then they give up 700 yards to Ole Miss. Ole Miss was left for dead after they lose to Bama because they were going to play <laughs> Ole Miss and then you know play a desperate Arkansas team. Were they going to lose three in a row? And what was going to happen to Lane if that were to take place? And now – they look like they're in a pretty good spot. A&M gets boat raced against Miami, and now they look like they've bounced back and have probably the best defensive line in college football when you're talking about talent and depth and ability. So I don't know, Ian. It can go so many different directions. I do know this. You know, Alabama being 2-0 and in the conference, uh, you know, first time that's happened in eight years since Ole Miss did it back in the 30s or 40s, I think. Uh, they're in a pretty good spot just because they don't have that conference loss yet. It makes A&M and Alabama this weekend absolutely massive. And that Alabama offensive line finally looked the way we thought they were going to look this past weekend. They go up against just a ferocious Texas A&M defensive line. That matchup probably decides the game. Uh, But they all still have mild concerns. I mean, can Ole Miss play any defense? Um, LSU is still going to be dangerous, even if they can't win the division. You know, and, and can somebody get Alabama twice to allow a team like Ole Miss to sneak back in and actually get the division? That doesn't seem likely. Uh, and then you got Texas A&M. You talk about being blessed with quarterback depth. You got a guy that has experience in, in Max Johnson who you throw right back in there who's able to take over for an injured Connor Wigman. But I'll say this, Ian, I, I love Le'Veon Moss. I think it's time for Texas A&M to start feeding him. Even Ernest Crown over Agreed. the fullback, I love. I think they get good. They get good tight end play. The D line's fantastic. I wonder does Max Johnson just sometimes that turnover gene stays with you? It's just in your DNA. The kid's got 13 fumbles and seven interceptions the last three years. He's got to find a way to protect the football. He's got to find a way to protect himself. He, he's got to understand if he leaves a game, you go to the third-string quarterback, not the second-string quarterback. And that's not as good place to be if you're talking about competing for a championship. So there's still a lot of risk with Max Johnson being at the helm there for A&M. And I think you'll probably see Bobby Petrino, Jimbo Fisher look to offset as much of that as they can down the road. Cole Kublik, uh, college football analyst for us here at ESPN, joining us here from our Auburn Center on ESPN Radio and Amber and Ian with Amber Wilson on me and Fitzsimmons. All right, Georgia played your alma mater, and they went down to the Plains, and it was one hell of a football game. Auburn, uh, Georgia comes away 27-20, but Auburn fought their tails off. And I'm with you as far as Georgia fans going, oh, well, uh, you know, Carson Beck is not, you know, Bennett. Stop. Just stop it, right? I mean, that, that, that's my thought. What do you truly see from Georgia after watching them and getting into read and react, which, by the way, airs on the SEC Network every Monday, 6 Central, 7 Eastern with Roman Harper. It's an outstanding, just full-on football, dive-into-film-type show. What do you truly make of Georgia and your alma mater in Auburn? Well, I think it just shows you that those kids are going to play hard for Hugh Freeze and that staff because they they were out man. They just, they don't have they don't have the firepower to be able to knock off Georgia right now. They were in that game. They made it competitive. A couple guys on defense played great. I thought they had a great plan defensively with what Ron Roberts put on the field. Pressures were timely. They were able to get to the quarterback, not necessarily get him to the ground, but force him to get rid of the ball or move in the pocket. And that's one of the things that Carson Beck does so well. I, I just think he manipulates the pocket. He manages the pocket well. 
delivers the ball downfield. Did he miss a few deep throws early in the season against UAB? And in this game, yes, but I don't think that makes him a bad quarterback. What he did down and in a tied game late in one of the most difficult places to play in college football, especially backed up in that student section on one drive, to be able to come back and win showed me a lot. I think he's been throwing the ball well all season. I think he's running their offense. He is – He's orchestrating their offense. For the Georgia fans that want Michael Penix Jr. numbers or Caleb Williams numbers, move to the Pac-12 and go play in one of those offenses. That's not what Georgia runs. So you're not going to get the same type of offense. And it's frustrating to me, Ian, for people to say, oh, we need to move on, or he's not the guy, or he can't do it. He's been doing it. And then you get the folks that say, well, he threw to Brock Powers at the end of the game. Well, good God, well, I wouldn't you? the best player in college football. Yeah, that mean... shows me he's an intelligent quarterback. <laughs> right. I mean, who, do you want him to throw to somebody else? So... <laughs> I just I don't think they're what they were in the last few years up front on the offensive line or the defensive line, but I think they have more weapons on offense, and they're better at linebacker and better in the secondary than they have been. So you're just going to have to do it in a little bit of a different way, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just I guess Georgia fans got stuck to seeing one style of football, and they're not going to be satisfied with anything else, but I still think you can make a really good argument Georgia's the best team in the nation because even the other teams that we would throw into that mix, they have some flaws themselves. Hey, Cole, uh, saying that that Carson Beck just relies on, you know, Brock Bowers is like saying Joe Montana leaned on Jerry Rice. Why wouldn't you throw to him? I mean, that's just absolutely asinine. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't, you're an idiot and you should be benched. Cole Kublick here with us, uh, college football analyst on ESPN Radio. Let's start taking a peek ahead to coming up, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, right, but week six, uh, the one of the marquee games, Texas and Oklahoma. What have you seen from these two teams? Because I'll tell you right now, what I've seen from Texas, they might be the best team in the country. Uh, They're right there, I think, with Georgia. Michigan hasn't played anybody. Texas has. Uh, I love this Texas football team. And a year or two with Brent Venables, after what we saw them have to go through last year, damn, man, they are hunting right now. What do you make of the Red River rivalry coming up 11 a.m. Central kick on ABC on Saturday morning? I'm I'm interested in it for a lot of different reasons. Um, I think I think Oklahoma is playing better defense this year. I think they're getting ball carriers to the ground at a better rate than they were a year ago. Physically, are they going to match up with that Texas offensive line? I don't really know. Now, Texas's offensive line hasn't imposed its will a whole lot this year. I thought it would be a little bit more of being able to control the ball on the ground whenever they wanted to, and it's been a bit hit and miss. Those weapons they've got, though, anybody's going to have issues with them, and that includes tight end, tailback, receiver. Quinn Ewers is doing a nice job just getting them the football and then allowing them to create. Defensively is where I think Texas has surprised me the most, and it's up front on defense. And that defensive line is not a group to be reckoned with, uh, and they have one of the better off-the-ball linebackers in college football that people don't talk about. I am a little concerned with the secondary. They come down and play the run really well. Coverage might be a little bit of an issue for this Texas team. I don't know how much we've truly seen it tested just yet. You will see it tested with Jeff Lebby's offense. They're going to put the ball down the field, they're going to put it in the air, and they're going to make you cover them. If they can't do it and they they struggle with it, Oklahoma's going to steal this game. But I agree with you that Texas right now might be the best, is absolutely one of the best teams, and that's a small handful in college football. This game is going to decide a lot. I mean, you have to think, with what happened a year ago, OU fans, OU players, OU staff has this one circled for even more reasons than you would ever need to have it circled for. It was embarrassing a year ago. I think it's going to be a heck of a matchup. 
What about uh, number 20, Kentucky, at number one, Georgia? I think this is a very intriguing matchup. Caesars has Georgia as a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. I thought Kentucky was just underrated you know, through the first five weeks of the season. You and I talked about this before the season began. What do you make of this particular matchup? Because I think it's an outstanding tilt between the hedges. I do think this Kentucky team, and we've seen – either undefeated or one-loss Kentucky teams take on Georgia a couple of times in the last six or seven years. The problem was with those Georgia teams in, they beat you with blunt force trauma. And they don't necessarily win with blunt force trauma this year. So therefore, Kentucky doesn't have to out Georgia that way to get a win in this game. I do think physically they can match up. I think the offensive line is playing better but a lot of what they got on the ground last week was a little bit because of how Florida played it or played it incorrectly, especially with their overhangs and out on the edge, not being able to contain, uh, being able to keep contained. And a lot of those linebackers dipped, ducked, and dodged blocks the entire game. Uh, they just didn't take them on the way that they needed to. And so I don't think Georgia's going to do that. I mean, Georgia sees a puller, they attack him, and they're not afraid of the contact and the physicality. So I do think Kentucky's defensive line has a chance to get some wins. Uh, Georgia's rolling different guys at left guard. Didn't play great last week. I thought their two tackles, you know, tiptoed through that game for the most part, played a little bit high. Pad level wasn't good. So there are, there are aspects in which Kentucky t- can take advantage. Also, keep in mind, from a talent perspective, this is the best Kentucky wide receiver core that program has ever had. And I know about Randall Cobb, and I know about some of the other guys that they've had, Craig Yeast and others, but collectively – this is the most talent in that room that school's ever had. Devin Leary can't turn it over. Liam Coleman's a great plan. I know Brad White will have a great plan. But this should be a competitive football game. And if it's one that Kentucky does not allow the logo to beat them before the game kicks off, they can compete with Georgia, and they have an opportunity to potentially go pull an upset. I had a Diablo sandwich ready for you, man, at Odie's Bar and Grill right there, right, not far from your house, and, uh, and right there in Homewood, Alabama. I was there. I was waiting on you. My treat. Well, I apologize when your your email goes kaput and you got to take your kid to karate and take two kids up from school. You know, you're just trying to keep your head above water. It's tough to get out and get lunch every now <laughs> The most underrated sandwich in America is the Diablo at Odie's. I mean, it, and it's named after, yes, Shefford Buford T. Justice. Cole, God bless you. Appreciate you. Talk to you next week. Safe travels. Thanks, Ian. You know, it's our pleasure, man. That's Cole Kublick, a college football analyst, or Shepard, or Sheriff Buford T. Justice, whichever way you want to go. Amber, quickly, you just saw that Kentucky defense and that Kentucky team against your beloved Florida Gators. What shot do you give them against Georgia? Uh, Kentucky looked great, obviously. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from their undefeated season so far. They're walking into a buzzsaw. If this game was in Kentucky, I would maybe have a different opinion and give them a bit more of a chance. But the truth is the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be home. I think they're, what, 14-and-a-half-point favorites? I don't know if it's going to be that kind of shellacking against Kentucky because Kentucky seems like the real deal in coming off of that big win against the Gators. They had themselves a heck of a recruiting weekend as well. Georgia's better, though. And the things that Kentucky was able to do against my Gators. The Gators just, I mean, it's like we didn't know how to tackle. We could not have been more undisciplined. It was really disappointing to watch Florida this week. 
the Bulldogs aren't going to make those same mistakes. So I, I really think it's going to be tough sledding for Kentucky. George is better. They should get this win. Maybe it'll look a little closer than the odds makers are giving it, but I don't give it a ton of a chance. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, we go back to the NFL. Is the Patriots' biggest problem Mac Jones or Bill Belichick? We'll talk about it next. Amber and Ian is on ESPN Radio. I really didn't expect this today, this tight game. Looking back, throws it over the side, passes to him. Ron Glenn to the 30, what to I tell the 20, you. to the 10, to the end zone. Was he benched for bad performance no. or was he pulled because No, I said there was no point in leaving him out there, so I took him out. I think we all have some confidence issues after a performance like that. It's a team game, right? So I put a lot into it and I feel really bad. I let my team down, let the coaches down. We said going into Monday Night Football that this thing might be a shootout because both these teams have bad defenses up against offenses that have weapons. And it's the opposite, <laughs> opposite of a shootout yet. We were going into the second quarter. Nobody has scored. <laughs> it's over. It's amazing. All I know is I need the Giants to hang on within three. That's all I'm looking for right now, Miss Wilson. That's well, all, yeah, there's, st- there's still a chance because everyone right now hanging on. Tied game. Zero, zero. We will keep you updated on Giants Seahawks. Jamal Adams left the game after taking a Woo. knee to the head. He was playing in his first game in 385 days. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper call in line. Triple eight, say ESPN, eight eight eight. 729-3776. Let's talk about what happened to the New England Patriots yesterday because they got waxed by the Dallas Cowboys 38-3. to It was ugly in every single way for these Patriots. And I thought it was a nod also to, frankly, how good the Cowboys are because the one thing that we've seen from Bill this season, I don't feel like we've seen much from this Patriots offense at all. Obviously, the Pats sitting at 1-3 on the season. But I do feel like we were still seeing that Bill Belichick defense, right? And the Cowboys being able to score 38 on this Patriots team and just looking so dominant on both sides of the ball, I thought that that's a nod to the Dallas Cowboys, but also just glaring problems, particularly offensively for the Patriots. Yeah, remember, not all 38 were on Bill's defense. Right. (laughs) But it was one where it was just a butt-kicking, Amber. It happens. And a lot of people are wondering, well, is Mac Jones really the answer? Well, folks, you have to remember this. And NFL people that I talk to every week getting ready for college games, I'll talk to NFL scouts and just get their thoughts on, you know, certain guys. And Amber, you worked at the Florida-Tennessee game with me. So you know that, you know, you, you get insight as to, you know, who has what or whatever. But also not just talk to them about, you know, college games, but also their teams and, and teams that they may be playing. And every NFL scout, every NFL general manager that I've talked to about Mac Jones says Bill Belichick set him back two years. Two years because of what he did to him last year when his offensive coordinator goes on to be the now head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, and instead of replacing an offensive coordinator with an offensive coordinator, he tries to show, look, I'm Bill Belichick. I'm the hoodie, right? I know more than all of you, so I'm going to have two old friends of mine come back in Matt Patricia and Joe Judge and they're going to coordinate the offense. And what have we seen from 
Mac Jones in his rookie campaign where he makes it as a Pro Bowl alternate, right, to now. Yeah, he regressed. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You have a defensive coordinator calling plays on offense, and you think that you we're going to shine? It, it's going to take Bill O'Brien this entire season to, to get Mac Jones right. And I saw flashes last week when I had them against the Jets. And I, I'm not going to hike my leg on Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is going to be one hell of a quarterback in this league. My question to you, Amber, is do you think that it's time or coming close to the time, and I don't, but I'm curious to see if you do, that Bill Belichick is ready to walk off into a sunset? No, I don't. I don't see that for him yet. And I don't think you run Bill out of town, even if Robert Kraft has had some big words heading into this season, frankly. I I think Bill ends up deciding when that opportunity and time comes for him. He's a coach that is in his 70s now at this point. So at some point, you're assuming he's going to want to hang it up. And maybe at some point, it's not so fun for him. But like I just said, defensively, this team's still good. Offensively, this team needs work. But that's what happens when you have three different OCs for your young quarterback. I mean, rookie season, he looked good, but then you have to change the system on him because McDaniels leaves, and then you have to change the system on him again because the backup plan for McDaniels was a disaster because those were defensive guys, and everybody knew it was going to be a disaster except for Bill Belichick somehow. And then you bring in Bill O'Brien, and he's not going to be able to implement the system overnight. And maybe he's going to need to dumb it down and simplify it more for Mac Jones. But Mac Jones already showed us in his rookie season that he can be at least a decent quarterback, right? He hasn't even looked like that at times this season. It's a lot of growing pains here, but that's what happens when things keep changing on you over and over and over again. Look how it looks for Tua finally having the same OC in place a couple seasons in a row. It's a prime example. Coming up next, what's happening in Pittsburgh? Are there going to be changes there? 